Is it poor sleep circadian rhythm? Is it toxic oils and high sugar in our diet? Is it the gut dysbiosis causing all these problems? Is it lack of social connection, right? So looking at it with a holistic approach saying, what else can we do? Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and check movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 190 of the Biohacker Babes. My name is Renee and I'm tuning in from Las Vegas today. Hello. Hey Vegas. This is Lauren tuning in from Maryland. Hello. Hi, you look so pretty today. Thank you. You should go do a photo (laughs) shoot after this. No, thank you. You always look pretty. You always look pretty. pretty. (laughs) now you look pretty sisters enough (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness yeah we're matching a little bit that's fun that rarely happens oh yeah i don't really pull this color out too often so i like it i like it yes and yes we are sisters we are sisters we are not twins though we got asked that again the other day that was fun a couple times all right a couple times (laughs) lauren pop question of the day what is the longest cold plunge you've ever done? If you know it. Four minutes? Ooh. I think okay. four minutes. Follow-up yeah. question. How cold was it? Ooh. Well, I don't remember the the exact cold plunge. That time is just standing in my, in my head as a like an upper limit that I did. So I don't remember. I'm assuming it wasn't the coldest. Coldest. Maybe it was Maybe. upper 40s, low 50s. Most likely low 50s. Pretty darn cold still. So Yeah, but I find it's not always like a direct relationship with the temperature and and the intensity or how long I can stay in there. Sometimes it's my mindset going in. It's the time of day. Depends on the weather. You know, if the sun is shining on the outdoor cold plunge, I feel like I can stay in there so much longer. There's just a, a lot of variables there. But makes sense. Typically, I go in, I just try to do the three minutes because it just feels like a baseline checklist item. Yeah. Makes yeah, sense. But I think four was the longest. And I haven't done four very many times. I'm sure of that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What about you? Still impressive. Um, well, I haven't <laughs> done that many cold You started plunges, this. So. You started I- it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the coldest plunge I ever did, like officially did, was in the Morasco Forge, which is like, yeah. isn't that like 35 degrees or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So I know that. Maybe. I think I made it like 48 seconds. So I yeah, did. The Morasco is really intense, unnecessarily yeah. intense, in my yeah. opinion. Okay. I did, I did three minutes in the cold plunge at the Wind Spa. Um, it was 70 degrees. <laughs> what? The pool? You went in the pool? They called the plunge? cold plunge. They called oh, the cold plunge. Oh, no. Yeah. I guess it's all relative. You get out of the hot tub, step into our cold plunge. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's hot tub, and then they have an 80-degree tub, and then they have a 70-degree tub. Doesn't get colder than that, though. So, 
Oh, come on, when Bump it up or bump it down. Bump it down. It feel right. cold? The 70 degrees? It does still feel cold. It's all relative. Anything yeah. below 98 feels cold. <laughs> Anything that's not my body temperature feels cold. Meet my hot-blooded sister. <laughs> yes, I'll be going in the sauna today, so there's that. <laughs> all right. Well, friends, welcome back for a solo sewed, duo sewed, just the two of duo us today. Sewed. A duo so Italian. Duo sode. Duo sode. So just the babes today, we're going to be doing kind of one of our old outlines where we share all the biohacks that we've been trying over the past couple months, a couple client wins, what we're reading, studying. These are always fun episodes because I think like our biohack trials kind of build up and then we just like to throw them at you and share what is working, what's not working, some funny things and what we've learned along the way. So mm-hmm. welcome, welcome. Where do you want to start? Let's start with a biohack we've both been trying. Okay. NAD patches. The ah. ion. Uh-huh. The ion NAD patches. Yes. So we both had the opportunity to try these. So NAD is all the rage, right? It, right now it's really good for, I mean, longevity, mitochondria, cellular health, energy. So the tricky thing with NAD though is how do we get it into the cell, right? There's a lot of products on the market. There's, you know, NMN is the best. No, NR is the best. No, NADIVs are the best, right? It's this constant battle of how do we get it into the cell? And so I think a lot of the products where you're just swallowing them, yes, it's questionable if you're really getting anything out of that. So the IVs are great, but they're expensive. They're time consuming. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about my NADIV experience after this. But so anyways, the patches are kind of like a good... I would say middle of the road option. So it's a patch you put on any part of your body. You know, you can alternate arms, you can do on your leg, your uh, back, your stomach, but it is pulsing NED into your system over 14 hours. So that's the other tricky thing about NED is you want it over a long time span. That's the best way to absorb it. So 14 hours is ideal. I did the recommendation that they sent where you do one patch every other day. I have to say the first couple of days, I didn't feel anything, but then by the end, by like my fifth and sixth patch, I noticed my HRV was higher. Even though I was traveling, I was working out really hard. Like I've been tracking my HRV for almost five years now. So I kind of can just see like, oh, something changed there. And so I Mm. woke up like, okay, my HRV is going to be low today. Right. And I was like, oh, it's higher. So that was the main takeaway for me. I can't say I really noticed a lot with energy, but I'm not the best judge of when things give me energy. I think I'm... I would definitely disagree with that statement. And also, can you tell people why we should be taking NAD or wanting to boost our NAD levels? Yeah. Well, I mean, how I started off with, I mean, the main thing is for cellular health and longevity. That's the big driver of why people are doing it. But in result, I will also give you typically more energy. So. so I did my first patch. I definitely felt energy almost immediately. And sure, there's always confounding variables. I was trying to keep my day pretty clean and simplistic and not changing anything. But I very quickly felt like I was pretty much flying through my day. And I think I did sleep well the night before. So there's that, you know, av- a pretty clean baseline. I definitely felt energy immediately. And so I was trying to find follow a protocol that you did one day on one day off, but we traveled to Tahoe. I forgot to put on a second one. And I'm kind of glad that I did because my only complaint with this patch is that the adhesive is a little aggressive on your skin. And in the instructions, it tells you to rotate positions like the the placement of the patch. And I 
changed the position slightly, but it still was on my left arm, kind of in the bicep region. And my skin was definitely irritated with that second patch. Regardless, I had great energy again the second time. So I'm interested to keep switching the patch and see if that increases over time. I had the same thing. My HRV, I expected to plummet because I changed time zones. We were in altitude. I was sleeping a little bit less and exercising more because we did a lot of skiing. And my HRV actually saw a little boost over those couple of days. So was it the NAD? Potentially. My only complaint, again, is just the skin irritation. And I just thought it was funny because we've been watching The Last of Us. And so when I look down at my... For anyone that doesn't know what The Last of Us is, it's a show on HBO about a fungal epidemic that takes over. People become infected. It's kind of like zombie land, but from a cordyceps mushroom infection. And when you get bit, you get this weird looking gnarly kind of rash thing on your arm and it's very signature. Like, you know that you're going to turn into the fungi species if you have this kind of insignia on your arm. So I looked down and I had, you know, the irritation from the patch and I'm thinking, oh my God, when I go to sleep tonight, like this is the last thing that I see. It's imprinted into my subconscious. I'm going to have dreams about being infected by a cordyceps. I was so nervous to go to sleep. It's like, ah, I'm good. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious though. <laughs> I will say with the adhesive issue, I had a similar reaction, excuse me, reaction because I left it on too long. There is a solution that you can get on Amazon. You just wipe it on your skin where the adhesive is going to go, and that will help with that. Oh, perfect. Because I have a similar reaction anytime I do a CGM. The adhesive, Mm -hmm. my skin just like doesn't tolerate it well. So I bought it for that reason. And for some reason, the NAD patches, I didn't remember to use it. I have a box full of them in my pantry. But if anyone wants to try the NAD patch, well, first of all, we'll link to that in the show notes, but also the adhesive biohack, I will call it. I'll link to that in the show notes too, because I think that would be a good way to protect your skin. Yeah. Yeah. That's great because I think it's just kind of a small annoyance, but I certainly don't want that to get in the way or like make me less motivated to do it because I did immediately see benefits. And I think pretty evident from subjective feelings and also in HRV data for both of us. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I just found it to be immensely beneficial traveling because just so many things take hits when we're traveling, especially me coming to your time zone and then back. Yeah. 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 But big fan of the NAD patch so far. Yeah. 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 What about your NAD IV? Yeah. So I just started doing the IVs a couple of weeks ago. So because like I was saying, you have to do it typically over four hours because you have to do a slow drip. You can get really nauseous if you go too fast. Mm -hmm. The doctor I'm working with here in Vegas, she actually does half the dose and then does it in two hours. She just finds most people don't want to come in every week and sit there for four hours. And I totally get that because you actually, the type of needle they use, you have to keep your arms so straight the whole time. So like, I'm like reading a book with like one hand, like trying to flip the pages. It's like super awkward. Like you literally have one hand for the two hours. So I appreciate I remember you saying, I can't even text you right now. Like, oh, yeah, I'm wow, like, this, this is serious. <laughs> trying to balance the phone on the side of the chair and use like one finger to type. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I appreciate that it's two hours instead of four hours, but I've only done two so far. And the other thing I'm noticing with NADIVs is some people rave about it. Like they get it and they're like flying for the week. Like I feel so good. And then other people are like, I feel nothing. So mm-hmm. I wonder, is there a genetic thing there? Is it, does it have something to do with methylation? Because we know NAD can increase methylation. Mm-hmm. 
So definitely going to explore that. I'm going to keep doing weekly ones for a while and uh, I'll report back. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think, I mean, the end of one experimentation until we completely f- figure out the entire equation of all the the metabolism and the pathways and is this right for you? It's kind of hard to predict that at this point with the information that we have. So just paying attention to how you feel and then kind of measuring it against cost benefit. Is it worth it? Because you said it is rather expensive. Oh. Cool. Right. That's NAD. What else are you trying? So I'm trying trying two products by Dr. John Laurence, who we're actually going to have on the podcast this summer, so we can pick his brain more about these. So I'm trying two of them. One is called the Sandman. I love the name Sandman for sleep. Mr. Sandman, give <laughs> yeah. me some sleep. Are those lyrics? I, I think now <laughs> they are. Now they are. Yeah. So this is using high dose melatonin and CBD or hemp for improving deep sleep. Now. Yes, there's a lot of controversy about around high-dose melatonin right now. I would say work with your practitioner. Do your own research before jumping into this. It seems like half the camp is saying, yes, high-dose, we're seeing really good impacts with uh, the antioxidant capacity. It's anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, antiviral. And then the other half of the... The other uh, half of the camp is like, no, no, no. We want to be doing 0.03 milligrams, keeping it really light, right? So... Again, do your own research, talk with your practitioner. The reason I'm trying it is I'm I'm currently having an Epstein-Barr virus reactivation. I just got some blood work back saying this nasty little virus is wreaking havoc in my body again. So I'm doing the NAD IVs for that. But I'm also playing with the high-dose melatonin because Dr. John Laurence, he partially created that product because he was having the same thing. He had Epstein-Barr virus. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so he was saying on a podcast, actually on Molly Eastman's podcast, Sleep is a Skill. Hey, Molly. He was saying that he um, discovered that when you have a virus like Lyme or Epstein-Barr, you're not really getting the deep restorative sleep because your body's trying to fight that all night long. And mm-hmm. he created this product and he is healthier than ever. He actually, he looks amazing. I don't know how old he is, but this was one of the game changers for him. So I'm just starting to experiment with that. And I will say I sleep very efficiently and very deeply when I take it. Mm. So I just want to say about melatonin, it, I understand that there are the two camps, but the one camp that is against melatonin right now is fighting back against this trend that kind of overtook melatonin and, and created this narrative that melatonin is exclusively for sleep. It's not for sleep. It is a hormone associated with darkness and nighttime because it opposes cortisol. So we have cortisol when the sun is high and we have melatonin when the sun is down and it is dark outside. So it has just been highly correlated with sleep. And so the poor thing, this poor <laughs> compound suddenly got called the, the sleep nutrient. And now it's getting all this crap because that's not its primary role. It's what you said. It's it's um, upregulating all these healing capacities in the body, like inflammation and oxidative stress. And so it's very powerful. So one, your body naturally upregulates melatonin when it has things to fight. So most likely, if you were to test your melatonin levels, it's possible that they are higher right now because of your reactivation. We also know when you have mold or when you have gut pathogens and that, you know, This can start happening when we have leaky gut dysbiosis, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in this episode. But there's so many reasons why your body would naturally upregulate it to support those mechanisms. So that makes a lot of sense to me that in that situation, there are certain situations where it could be beneficial to supplement with it, not to sleep. But 
yes, as a byproduct, will help you sleep because it's going to help support that healing process, which happens when you sleep. Right. But then the question is, could it possibly shut down your body's natural production of melatonin over a long term? Well, I think like anything, we have to pay attention to the natural rhythms of the body and we need to do it short term. We need to reassess. We have to constantly be checking in. The problem is with a lot of supplementation, medications, nutraceuticals, we don't check in again. We don't reassess. We just say, oh, this worked for me one time. I'm going to keep doing it. Right. It's a lot of work, but you do. You got to check back in. And I don't know, just in my opinion, I wouldn't think that it would shut down production if your body needs it short term to heal. And then hopefully we heal and we move on. Makes sense to me. So. so I'm really excited to get Dr. Laurence on. I hope his ears are burning right now when we're talking about him. Um, yeah, yeah. So Can this all goes to be said. We're going to learn from the experts soon. So if you're if you're on that fence of the melatonin camps, stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to keep experimenting. I'm only doing it like two nights a week right now, just trying it out. Um, I also have one of his other products, the Mitozen nasal spray. So this is oxytocin and hape. What? You didn't tell me this. This is why we have to do a podcast because you don't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you all the things. Oh man, does it burn going up there? Oh yeah. That's the hape though. If anyone's ever done hape, you know that nasal burn that you get. But so it's the worst feeling in the entire world. I've never given birth. Just disclaimer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't compare it to that. Yeah. I mean, your eyes water and you'll be blowing your nose for about 10 minutes, but once you get past that, you feel great. And I don't know how much of it is the oxytocin or the hape or the combination, but the product is actually stimulating the vagal nerve. And so the idea behind the product is it mimics the experience you get from meditation or breath work or sauna or cold exposure. Um, and so I've been kind of playing around with it. Like I've used it before breath work, before the sauna, and it does just like takes you to another level for a little bit. How long did it last? Uh, maybe an hour for me. Oh, that's long. Oh, really? Well, I've only done real hoppe one time and it was maybe a 15 minute experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. And quite euphoric and it felt very meditative, but it didn't last very Mm. long. Mm. Probably different for everyone on how long that lasts. But again, it's the combination. And there's also some essential oils in there too. So that might extend it. So what is your advice for people to try out this particular nasal spray, which I didn't know exists and I'm a little bit bad. (laughs) I would say go to the website. We'll put that in the show notes for today's episode. Mitozen is the brand. Read about it. See if it resonates with you. But I think if you want to kind of up-level your meditation or breathwork practice, I think that could be a good thing. You can also do it without that. I mean, like I said, it's supposed to mimic that, but I like to stack it with those. And Mm -hmm. it gives you this like really quick boost of happiness. I kind of want to say it's like happiness in a bottle, right? That's oxytocin. Yeah. Right. The love hormone. What if you hug your cat while you're doing it? Double the effects. Double the (laughs) oxytocin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's nice too. like, I've even tried it like before a night out. If I don't want to drink alcohol, it's also too late to have any caffeine. I just do a little boost and get going. Oh, okay. So I'm assuming it's quickly metabolized through the body. Yes. Yeah. Definitely doesn't disrupt sleep. Any chance that you were wearing your Hanu HRV strap at the time? Because you mentioned that it simulates the vagal nerve. I'd be curious to see what it does to HRV. No, but I'm going to put that on my list to try this weekend. Okay, me too. 
Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> awesome. That's exciting. Right. I can't wait to try that. What about you? What are you trying right now? Well, I have my CGM back on. I had taken a few months off and I had a bunch of clients that kind of all at once. Well, I guess it wasn't a coincidence. It's winter time. A lot of clients traveling to mountains and skiing and doing things at altitude. And they were all reporting back, oh my gosh, my CGM is misbehaving at altitude. This must be what's happening. My glucose levels are higher. And I was like, you know what? I've never actually worn a CGM at altitude. So this trip to Tahoe that we took last week, I said, perfect timing. Let me experience this for myself. I need to know how to better advise people. Well, (laughs) I didn't see any change in glucose at altitude. And when you look at um, the pamphlets for both the Dexcom and the Freestyle Libre, they say there's tolerance up to 10,000 feet of altitude. You're not really supposed to see any disruption to glucose until you go above that. So potentially if you're Mm. climbing a 14er in Colorado, maybe. I also think that there is some sensitivity into when you put the sensor in. So if you were, I mean, I definitely would have would not insert a new sensor while you're on the airplane <laughs> or while you're at the top of the mountain. So I had mm. inserted mine two days before because first 24 to 48 hours can just be kind of wacky. And so if you have the Dexcom, I recommend calibrating with a finger prick to make sure that what the CGM is telling you is accurate. If you do that and all the variables are clean, again, I think that's always a thing. There's so many confounding variables. So if there's something that looks like it's out of the ordinary, we have to go back and look at the entire environment. What other inputs could possibly be affecting this? And I think that's kind of an easy blame. Oh, I'm at altitude. It must have been the altitude. What I found is the altitude alone didn't affect it. But I did notice like as I went through the weekend and I started getting less sleep and got like a little more free with my eating because I was really excited to drink a beer at the bottom of the mountain. Like, you know, I don't eat gluten. I don't drink gluten. But every now and then I just want to drink a beer. And I did. And at that point, my glucose really started to misbehave a little bit like the baseline just gently kind of started to rise. Also, I was at the very end of my cycle, my menstrual cycle. So I was in the last part of the luteal phase. And we know that insulin is less sensitive in the last part of the luteal phase before the period. And so another confounding variable on top of starting to be a little more lax with my diet. And yeah, my baseline definitely shifted up. So curious for all these other clients, and this is just a hypothesis, was it just the altitude or was it you're traveling and there's like little variables that start to change. And we know with glucose, they can really all kind of pile up and affect one another and making it really difficult to tease out the information and the data. But also we know with glucose that once you're on that roller coaster or once you're on that rise, it's very difficult to stop it and to get off. So then we don't even have, like, it's very difficult to have clean data, even if you are being very specific with your dosing Mm. experimentation. So I think there's, the the takeaway here is that there's a lot of answers. I didn't find personally that altitude alone as a variable was affecting the CGM. The max altitude we were at was 10,000, I think, at the very top. Very possible if you go over that, it could affect it. But if you're traveling and you're finding this, I would just like zoom out and look at all of the variables again sleep, recovery, are you eating a little bit different? Maybe you're eating the same things that you eat at home, but you're just eating out. And of course we get 
We relinquish control at restaurants with inflammatory oils, maybe just a little bit more sugar. And then for our women, ladies, where are you in your cycle? Because that is, I see that just so clearly throughout the cycle. I'm like, I'm eating the Mm. same thing. But when my estrogen is low and then the hormones drop off, I don't have the same tolerance to carbs that I do other times in my cycle. Mm. Okay. Question about the Dexcom. You mentioned doing the finger prick to match it. Is there a way to input that into the app? Like, hey, right now, oh, you Mm -hmm. can do that. You have to teach me how to do that. Yep. It's only in the Dexcom. The Freestyle Libre is factory calibrated, so you cannot change it. Oh, I have. That's what I have. So I've had one or two clients that know how to hack it. I just have never been able to understand all those steps that they do. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, But the Dexcom allows that. So you can use a finger prick and you can go into settings. It's very clear. It just says calibrate and you just enter the value that you see in your finger prick. It will not change the exact value to what's on the finger prick, but it will, it will calibrate. It will like downregulate to a new baseline. Mm. That's nice. You can do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's also a debate like if you have to calibrate it, is it that accurate? Yeah. I mean, you know, I had that little like wonky thing happen when I was out and about and my freestyle Libre started saying my glucose was 45. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And I wouldn't feel very good if that was true. Yeah. And I didn't feel great. I was in a museum and I don't know if I'm like allergic to museums or something, but I never feel great. I don't know if it's the lighting or the toxic chemicals or just getting tired tired reading after all the different rooms, whatever. Preservatives on the paintings. So I like, I kind of panicked and I went to like the gift shop and I found this like I don't even remember what brand, like little protein bar. It had maybe like 15 grams of protein and five grams of sugar. And I was like, I'm just going to eat half of this and see if anything happens. And my glucose only jumped up five points. I'm like, this, this something is weird. And then you said, as soon as you get home, check your glucose. By the time I get, got home, the Freestyle Libre said 55 and my finger prick said like 85. Mm. And so then I ended up taking it off. Obviously, the sensor had gone bad, but... Um, when you took it out, was the filament disrupted in any way? Was it distorted, bent, or crooked? It was. It was. And there, you even said to check, there was a little bit of blood where the needle had been. So I think I had yeah. just overdone the tricep extensions two days before at the gym that maybe I poked something out because it was a- after that gym workout was when the weird reading started. So, mm, yeah, that's very possible. Yeah. In general, I find that the Freestyle Libre runs or reports a little bit lower than baseline and the Dexcom reports a little bit higher. Interesting. Okay. Take it with a grain of salt because if you were one of those and now you're like, oh, redeemed, uh, just check it for yourself with a finger prick. But in general, I'm seeing those trends. Okay. And again, it's all about the trends, right? That's what we're looking at. Correct. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I guess one little note, if you happen to be new here, CGMs, you're not familiar with testing your blood (laughs) glucose. (laughs) We're talking about continuous glucose monitors. So it's a device that you can implant into your arm. It's just like a tiny little filament. It's not even really a needle. And you can measure your glucose over a 24-hour period. It's a great, great, great for personalizing your diet because we see responses to food, but also to stress, to sleep, to exercise, to hydration, to supplements, to you name it, everything that you experience over a 24-hour period. So it's a really great perspective and window into your physiology. Amazing for accountability. It's built in on your arm. So if you're trying to make some dietary or lifestyle changes, 
It's awesome. You don't have to wait to check in with your coach. It's like right there on your arm, like a little angel checking in on you. Anyways, if that's new to you, we'll drop a link at the bottom of the show notes about how to explore a CGM. And we've done lots of podcasts on that. So you can do a deeper dive on that. Circle back. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, biohackers, did you know the use of silver actually has a long history and has been used by many ancient civilizations as a means to not only maintain health, but to preserve food and beverages? Before the mainstream discovery and acceptance of antibiotics in the early 1900s, silver was used in hospitals and is actually still used today. Silver has generally gotten a really bad reputation. Maybe you've heard the scary claims from the blue man that took too much silver, Well, quantity and especially quality really matter here. So most silver supplementation on the market is ionic silver, and it is unsafe for the body if used in high quantities. This is why we really love silver soul technology. It's not ionic, and it's a true colloidal silver, which is a nanoparticle coated by a silver oxide. What you really need to remember is that it's more effective, more efficient at lower parts per million. Silver Soul technology is 10 to 33 parts per million, where other companies have up to 3,000 parts per million. The takeaway, more is not better. Yeah, and Silver Biotics actually has a range of products, but we especially love their immune-specific line. The Silver Soul technology has a natural way of targeting invaders without the side effects. This uses multiple modes of action on how it actually targets invaders, and it uses the natural elements to kind of trick the body, so to speak, and then it kickstarts the immune system. Yes, I love these natural defenses. So it actually came to the rescue to me the other day. I was feeling a little run down and at the end of my luteal phase. So for my ladies, that is when we are the most vulnerable. So I took a few doses, and a day later, I was feeling pretty brand new. I was just so grateful that I had this stuff on hand. And guess what? I'm still not blue. I can confirm that she is not blue. (laughs) And either am I. And I've had a similar experience. It really kind of saved the day for me. And on top of the immune line, we have some other products from them that we love. Their skincare, like their healing skin cream, the anti-aging facial serum, and then their oral care. The whitening toothpaste is amazing. I call myself a toothpaste snob. I have tried all the natural ones. And usually when they're really clean toothpaste, they don't work well. But this one is incredible. You know what? I think my teeth are turning blue. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) That's what the whitening toothpaste is for. Actually, I love the toothpaste too. We get sent a lot of different brands of toothpaste to try. And I have to say, never usually a fan, but this one is a clear winner in my book. I'm definitely going to continue it. And to wrap things up, they also have the wound care product and they have pet care products for all the animal lovers out there like Lauren and I. Meow. (laughs) surprised you didn't woof woof (laughs) so if you want to check out the products from silver biotics you can head over to silverbiotics.com and make sure you use discount code biohackerbabes at checkout to save some money we will put the link to their website and the discount code in the show notes for today's episode all right let's get back to the show great what else are you trying castor oil packs love them queen of thrones Queen of Thrones. Oh my gosh. So we both used to use castor oil packs all the time. And then there just was this, I don't know, you know, shiny new toy, other things come into our lives that are exciting, but I'm just so excited that Dr. Marisol like reinvigorated our interest in castor oil packs. So I've been wearing mine at nighttime and I just love the material. It's soft. It doesn't 
you know, the old casserole packs I used to use would just explode everywhere. You'd ruin your t-shirt. It was messy. Hers is just so simple. And I'm just finding I'm sleeping really well. And I, I love that I'm giving support to my liver. That is something other than swallowing another capsule because I don't need any more supplements. Yeah. And I will say, go back and listen to episode 189, where we interviewed Dr. Marisol all about castor oil packs. She's She's amazing. Ah, Mm -hmm. Yes. I love her. And her Instagram is just so entertaining. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's an exciting thing. Liver love. Lots of liver love. The other thing I'm playing with, oh, we're both playing with this, our Light Path LED. So this is the red light company that we love. Scott Kennedy is the founder. He, it's a slightly smaller company, but really amazing technology. And they're always upgrading. They just came out with a diesel line, which is pulsed red light. So if you tried a red light device, you most likely have gotten a continuous red light where you hit on and it's on. Or if you have the near infrared, it may, you may not see the red because it's invisible to your eyes, but it's usually like an on or an off with the diesel line and the pulse, it's going to flash so you're getting off on, off on, off on, off on through a treatment cycle. They're not really showing in the research that there's any huge like systemic benefits from one or the other. The real benefit from the pulsing is that you won't overheat your tissues, which could potentially then diminish your total time. So you can do more and more intensity without overheating the tissues and your skin temperature and still get the benefits. I would say the pulsing is a little bit of aggressive. So if there's any nervous system dysregulation or you're sensitive to, you know, the announcement you hear in theaters, like we're going to use strobe lights. So if you're that person, pulsing light's probably not great for you. I also would not recommend it at nighttime, but there is something really invigorating about it. I like to use my red light morning and nighttime. And so now I'm using the pulse light in the morning and I find it's just like, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, mm. wake up. It feels good. Nice. Yeah. And I, I like that they have the eye, the eyewear too. So Oh, you like your tanning eyewear? Yeah. yeah little goggles. Yeah. Uh-huh. Takes me back to the tanning yep. days. Yeah. Yeah. This panel really also cool. has uh frequencies. So there's a whole little panel at the top. So you can really dial in your experience. And I'm not even super familiar with all the different variables and nuances of it, but Scott Kennedy um is available to talk sometimes you're going to give a a little extra nudge but he's going to come back on the podcast and so we'll get more information about how to curate that experience to really get the most out of your red light because you could be using it for skin topical issues maybe you're using it strictly for mitochondria or for muscular inflammation there's so many different nuances and so those dial controls including the the frequency uh, would play a big part into how you get the most out of your light yeah, really exciting. Yeah, I, I need to learn more about the frequencies because right now I'm just kind of playing around with different ones, but I don't know what's best. So I'm excited to have Scott back on the podcast this summer to mm-hmm. explore that more. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, back to you. Ball, toss. What are you doing? <laughs> Ball, toss. Hot potato. I just got a box of Parker Pastures beef. Do you know about this company? Well, I do because I was looking at your Instagram earlier. (laughs) Yes, I got to unpack this amazing box last night. So it's this family-owned farm in Colorado, and they have pork, lamb, chicken, and beef. It's all local to the area, obviously, but it's grass-fed, grass-finished, organic, lifetime grazed, and our favorite word, regenerative. 
Yay. Yes. I think that's how they found me on Instagram because we've been talking so much about regenerative farming and sustainable farming. And I think that's how they found me. And I'm like, yes, I want to try this. So I just got a box full of beef. I'm going to cook some up this weekend and see how box of beef box of beef. It looks so good. I love that. I'm so excited for you to taste it and try and share. There's more and more of these regenerative farm companies coming out, which is, it's just like so important right now because of the movement with the farming industry and what Bill Gates is doing and the lab grown meat and still the push towards plant-based veganism. And now there's these farms with cows that are wearing these little masks to block the methane, which is absolutely ridiculous in my opinion. Like a Saturday Night Live skit. Kind of, kind of, kind of. So I'm really happy (laughs) to start seeing more of these regenerative farms because we want that complete life cycle. Like the animals take care of the soil, the grass, it comes back up into the environment. We get more nutrient-dense food, plants. The ecosystem is protected with this complete regenerative cycle. So super excited to see more of those. I'm excited about your beef. (laughs) I think it's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. And even like, and I'm talking to the girl that like runs the farm. She's like, my mom and dad have like helped me grow this farm since I was a kid. I mean, geez, it doesn't get more small family owned than that. I love it. Yeah. She's got mud on her feet in the trenches. Yep. Yep. Excellent. All right. Another one. All right, my biohacker friends, you probably already know that Lauren and I are obsessed with everything when it comes to sleep optimization. We are always trying the latest and greatest biohacks and supplements to see what truly works. And when it comes to sleep, there could be a multitude of problems, right? Some people have a hard time falling asleep, staying asleep, maybe even waking up feeling unrefreshed. Does this happen to you all? Because certainly I have dealt with all of these factors. And you have probably heard us talk about Magnesium Breakthrough before on the show, which is by Bioptimizers, and how it's really great for sleep and promoting calmness and relaxation. But what we found out is that the brains behind Magnesium Breakthrough have taken it to the next level with a product specifically designed for sleep. It's called Sleep Breakthrough, and it's a total game changer in the space. Sleep Breakthrough is a delicious pre-bed drink that combines the power of magnesium with other natural ingredients like valerian root to help us fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up feeling refreshed. I personally notice that when I take it before bed, I don't wake up at all in the middle of the night, which is really nice because then I wake up feeling much better. You can also tune into our recent podcast with Matt Gallant from Bioptimizers, where he shares some of the science behind this new product if you're curious to dive in a little bit deeper. So... We highly recommend giving Sleep Breakthrough a try. You can visit sleepbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes to check it out. And not only do you get a discount when you use code biohackerbabes10, they are also throwing some amazing free gifts in with your purchase this month. That's why we always love shopping at Bioptimizers. We love the free stuff. So head over to sleepbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. Don't forget that discount code biohackerbabes10 and let us know what you think. I have one more. Parazanthine. I wish I could take a poll right now. Who has heard of parazanthine in the audience? I'm like half raising my hand. I've heard of it, but I don't know. what. I don't know. I know nothing. Teach me. I know nothing. Well, I first heard about it or tried it two years ago. I was with our friend Sean Wells. We had a little biohacking Airbnb and he gives me this capsule and he says, this is called parazanthine. It will give you all day energy. Just try it. Okay. So I skipped my coffee that day. I took the capsule. I felt amazing for like 10 hours. I'm like, 
what is this? And so, I mean, two years ago, really no one was talking about it. It's still really, really a new compound or ingredient, ingredient, I would say. So Sean Wells is our go-to expert on it. I will put a lot of links in the show notes. Uh, ben Greenfield just did a great podcast with Sean. Um, Sean has also worked with this company called Update, where they are using paraxanthine in the energy drinks. So the reason I wanted to share this is primarily for people that are looking to get off of caffeine, but you want an alternative for all-day energy. So paraxanthine is great because it works similar to caffeine, but it doesn't have a lot of the side effects that caffeine does, including like the anxiousness or jitteriness that people get. So if you're someone that's like, oh, I can't touch coffee, but I wish I could because I would love the energy boost and the focus, paraxanthine might be something you want to try. And so- What is it um, doing? I mean, the molecule works similar to caffeine, so it is still stimulating the central nervous system. Adenosine? I don't know that it affects adenosine. That's a really good question. We, I, I'm trying to get Sean on the podcast so we can do a deep dive on this, but it does still stimulate the central nervous system, but it also, it's a cleaner burn in the body. So caffeine's not a super clean burn, which is why we tend to crash in the afternoon. So paraxanthine, you don't get that crash. Um, the other reason they're doing this is because, shoot, I forget where I was going with this. I guess until you remember, is it, I mean, are we going to treat it as a nootropic, like just using it when we really need it? Because for me, coffee is like an everyday luxury enjoyment. I'm not going to start popping paraxanthine instead. Is it more of a nootropic? Like you really want to reserve it for the days when you need your best brain energy. So that's a good question. Or I don't know, maybe you got like a big old child field trip and. So something interesting. Disney or something. I say it's Disney. Paraxanthine at Disney. I think you would want to use it anytime you want like a long day of steady energy or and or if you just don't tolerate caffeine well. Because something I actually just learned on Ben Greenfield's podcast is that it doesn't work great stacked with caffeine. And so I was making the mistake of some of the days I was experimenting. I was still having a cup of coffee in the morning and then I was having the energy drink around noon and I didn't notice as big of an energy improvement. And so I didn't realize you shouldn't actually stack them. So if you are going to have your normal coffee, maybe it's not the best thing. Maybe you do it on the days where you're giving your body a break from coffee, right? Which we should be doing every once in a while. So it's really more of a replacement than a stack to coffee. Okay. Um, But they add nootropics to it. There's a couple amino acids, some vitamins in there. So you technically could have it every day, unlike coffee, which you shouldn't have every day. Got it. Note to self. Yeah. They also, something else, yeah, it's itself. Something they were talking about that I thought was really interesting is about they're really researching the half-life of caffeine for people. Like the standard has been six hours, right? The half-life is six hours. And so if you have 100 milligrams of caffeine at noon, know that six hours later at 6 p.m., you still have about 50 milligrams in your body. But they're finding that that range is way wider than we thought. Some people are able to clear it in an hour and a half some people they're seeing three days. Three days. Three days. So even though you might feel oh. like you're sleeping, there's still residues of that caffeine that could be disrupting really your deep restorative sleep. I mean, that's obviously the those are the end of the spectrum. But like our mom, right? She's probably like the hour and a half person because she can go to bed right after a cup of coffee. She clears it really fast. I've mm-hmm. always felt like six hours is short. I feel like I'm like a 12 hour kind of person, but so terrible news. <laughs> so anyways, I just think it's good to know it's not just are you a fast or slow metabolizer? Really, it's a wide spectrum of how you metabolize it. So I guess the advice would be, again, to experiment like anything. 
potentially if you want even deeper sleep or you're struggling with deeper sleep, struggling with deep sleep, take it out for three to four days, see if it makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a terrible experiment, but I guess I'll do it, Renee. (laughs) I mean, maybe, maybe you have your cup of coffee at 8 a.m. and that's it for the day if you're Mm -hmm. a really slow metabolizer. So Mm -hmm. again, we are all so different. So yeah. All right. We are and we aren't. We're still practically bonobos, but also 99.9% quite different. Same, same. All right, biohacks. Did we wrap that up? Yeah. That was a fun little list. Moving on. What are you reading? What are you studying? What are you learning? Well, I feel like you just taught me a lot of things, but anything else that you are digging into these days? I guess the big one right now, I just finished a book last night called Your DNA, Your Life by C. McDermott, who we are going to have on the podcast next week. So I wanted to get through her book. Really interesting. A lot about really epigenetic expression. So she is, I guess that's her specialty. So, you know, looking at the DNA, which is interesting timing too, because we just had uh, the DNA company on the show to talk about DNA testing, but she's really looking at the lifestyle factors based off of your genes. So excited to interview her next week. Yes, me too. Fun. I may have to speed read that this weekend. I meant I brought it to Tahoe and I meant to give it to you, but I still had three chapters left, so I didn't. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. I can buy my own book. Okay. Thank you, though. Yeah. What are you reading or studying? I'm not reading any books right now. They're all just sitting on my bedside table because uh, my course is is um, the priority with Brendan, FMHP, and uh, I'm a little bit behind right now, but we're in a really fun module. We are revisiting organic acid testing which I got really into a couple of years ago and was using it on several clients. But I would say that has tapered off drastically just because my client base has really turned more towards metabolic health and organic acid testing. So we're we're testing uh, testing through urine, the metabolites of compounds in the body. So it's like, what are you peeing out? And we can see based on what you are peeing out, if there are elevations or dips in particular compounds, nutrients, which can give us an overall look at the nutrient status of the body, also the toxic load. Um, But I would say it's very specific and it's quite expensive. So I don't run it on, it's not an every client run. It's more for your your harder cases. So if there is really sticky, stuck weight loss resistance, and then anyone that potentially is dealing with yeast, fungal overgrowth, mold, I don't work with these clients, but it's great for autism, ADHD. So it's more your um, chronic, trickier cases. So I'm really excited to start learning about it again because I kind of not hit a pause, but I just haven't really been using the test as often as I used to use. Mm. Um, I think so. Can I can I send you my results from a couple months ago? I'll be your guinea pig. Did you do another one? I did one. I think in November ish. You sent me the results. We just never talked about it. I know. But now that you know so much more. Okay. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Okay. So I think what I wanted to share is not specifically about organic acids, but now you all know about the test, (laughs) which I think it's a really fascinating test if you are dealing with any of those issues. But the takeaway in this module, which Brendan has just been hammering because it's important to hammer because we have been so conditioned against this idea of microbes being bad, that microbes are the offender, that we have to kill microbes, that we don't want any microbes anywhere. We have, you know, over sanitized our environment and our life. 
And it's just so good to hear these reminders over and over again, because even I know, and I've learned this and it's in the literature and I'm a believer, it's still, I feel like it's very much all around us, this germ versus terrain theory. So for anyone that's not familiar with that, there are these two theories, essentially like terrain theory, if your environment is clean, if you have something that's foreign that enters the body, if the terrain is clean and strong, the body has natural healing abilities and will be able to take care of that naturally versus the germ theory that essentially says if you were exposed to a germ, you're screwed. (laughs) I know that's not a very eloquent way to present it, but there have been these two competing theories like in the uh, immune space for so long. And so Brennan's just such a great reminder that we were born from the microbiome of the planet. We are made of microbes. We are bacteria. And we are also surrounded by eons of bacteria. It is in this air right here in front of me speaking. It's all around me. It is unavoidable. And bacteria is not essentially is not inherently bad. What is bad is overgrowth or perhaps like lack of bacteria in your gut. That's why we want good microbial diversity. It's really about that Goldilocks zone. We want microbial balance and we want to be in symbiosis or homeostasis with our microbes. Because if we're not in homeostasis, that's when we get disease. That's when we get sick, we get chronic inflammation, what have you, all of these, the cascade of events. So it's just been interesting to hear, like, I love his rants and his soapbox moments about how, like, stop fighting the microbes, stop trying to, like, kill everything. And it's just been such a present conversation, especially through the pandemic of people feeling like, I can't go around someone else that's sick because then I'm going to get sick. Well, not necessarily, because if you believe in terrain theory, if your immune system and your environment is strong, you can handle it. Just because you're around another sick person does not inherently mean that you're going to get sick. But I think we're just so conditioned to think that germs are bad. Yeah. Done. (laughs) Done rant. No, that's awesome. Man, my sister is the smartest person I've ever met. I love learning from you. Not true. (laughs) I will just add to like that whole thing of like, oh, I'm around all these sick people. I'm going to get sick. There's also like such a mental component to that. So the fear stress response. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be me. Oh my gosh. That used to be me. It, I really? Yeah. I used to. Um, but I think that's when my immune system wasn't strong. I had a period in my life where like there was a year where I just got sick 12, maybe 14 times. I remember that. And so yeah, I was freaking afraid of getting sick because I couldn't get out of this vicious cycle of being sick. My immune system was really down. And so I think if you are someone that has you know, potentially gotten a few illnesses back to back. Yeah. It's like, of course, you're going to be a little bit scared of getting sick because it's not fun to be sick. But hopefully we can get out of that vicious cycle, bolster the immune system and feel confident that your body is going to take care of you. I mean, there's always going to be surprises and outliers. I'm not saying that like getting sick is a bad thing. I just think we have to, one, (laughs) take care of our bodies and then to trust in our bodies. And three, what you said, like pay attention to that stress fear response, because that is very detrimental to the immune system. Yeah. What was uh, Hilda's thing? She said, you're not going to catch a cold or what? catch cold. What was her saying? Do you remember that? She would tell people to catch cold, like go catch outside cold. basically with no clothes on or less clothing, like catch cold. It's ba- it's basically uh, cold thermogenesis or cold exposure. It's like a cold plunge. Go outside and get cold 
as opposed to what we were told growing up. You know, you got to bundle up. You can't go outside. You're going to catch a catch cold. A cold. Right. So instead of catching a cold, she said, go catch cold so that you won't get sick. Right, right, right. That was it. Yeah. 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 Love Hilda. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Awesome. So that's what I'm learning. I'll keep you keep you all posted on my progress through the course. But Thanks. Yeah. How many more, more months? Too many. Too many. <laughs> we have slowed Sometimes. down the pacing of it because Brendan really cares about everyone really integrating and having time and not feeling rushed and no one is just a student in this course. Everyone has I'm sure. jobs and perhaps multiple jobs. So he kind of took the pressure off of a, an end timeline. So we're just pacing mm. super slow. It's probably going to take two years. That's great. He's a great teacher. Yeah. He's pretty awesome. awesome. <laughs> What's next? Any client wins you want to share? I, yeah, but you go first. This is more of a, I would say, an interesting story about a client. So I had her get a CGM for four weeks, and we were pretty shocked to see her blood sugar was overall really stable with most foods. But again, her biggest spikes were always stress. It was quite often after a night of poor sleep, and then the the big spikes, I'm talking like, you know, 150, 160, 170 it was a stressful moment. It wasn't mm-hmm. when she was eating. So, I mean, we've talked about that a lot on the podcast, right? And we just talked a lot about CGMs today. I think just the stress is so, so important to find a way to manage, you know, whether it's using something like breath work or meditation or mindfulness or now HRV bio, HRV biofeedback, I think is such a great tool. And not just how are we managing stress, but how we're perceiving stress. It's yeah. so, so important to look at. I just, I still like want to put that on the hierarchy, like above what you're eating. It's like, how are you eating? How stressed are you? How are you perceiving the stress? How was your sleep the night before? Just so many other factors. And I can't remember if I talked about this. I think I maybe told you this in Tahoe. I read this article about it was, they interviewed a hundred people that are over a hundred years old. And they said, just give us your top advice for how you've lived such a long life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I only got through, I think like 50 of them. I still need to go back and finish that article. I'll link to it in the show notes. But only one of them was like, I eat lots of vegetables every day. All the other ones were like, I go on date night with my husband one night every week for the past 80 years or something. Or I go dancing with my girlfriends on Fridays. And it was so much of the social side of things, a little bit about the stress side of things. But like, and I guess exercise, not so much exercise, but more movement, right? Like I go dancing, I go hiking, I go walking, um, not I go to CrossFit every morning at 6 a.m. It was none of that, right? But again, mm. I just Amazing. like there's a bigger picture here, guys. Yeah, I love that. Good motivation to connect, have fun, put the work down. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have lots of fun. I don't work too much. <laughs> no, I think we all can yeah. find more time for connection and downregulation. So what a fascinating experiment. Was she motivated, inspired, a little bit freaked out by the CGM data? I think she was motivated to see, wow, like I really need to get a handle of how I handle my daily stressors with my kids and running errands and things like that. Versus just, what do I need to eat? What time do I need to eat? Am I eating too much? Am I eating too little? It was, Mm. oh, man. 
I got to find a way to handle these stressors better. That's really going to be a game changer for, for overall health, I think. So. so awesome that you had that experience with her. Yeah. And again, a testament to the CGMs, which I like to call continuous lifestyle monitors. <laughs> oh, yes. There we go. Yeah. It's not just about food. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. What about you? Yeah, mine also is a little bit of a story, less of a win, though I guess it is kind of an investigative win. So I have this female client who is healthy, healthy, like does all the right things. When we did our initial consult, you know, I'm always prepared for that one thing like, oh, nope, that's it. You got to do this. You got to do this better. Um, She was a little bit of a mystery case at first glance. Thyroid issues, lots of fatigue, despite her good stress management, very clean diet, clean environment, like all clean beauty products, household products, exercises, connects with her family. You know, on paper, it was like, check, check, check. So trying to play investigative reporter here, based on the thyroid and the fatigue, I I asked her if she'd ever done any heavy metal testing. And she hadn't, but she was open to it. She ran a test and she found that her arsenic is really high. And there was a little bit of a panic moment. Oh my God, where's the arsenic coming from? Well, usually arsenic is in water. That's kind of like the most common source. It can be found in foods. It could be in an environment, but that we kind of checked all those things off the list. It's got to be the water. So we looked at her EWG tap, the municipal tap water source, which you can find online, which I've been using as a resource for a long time. Uh, maybe not going to trust it so much anymore and you'll hear why. But so we looked at EWG and, you know, they're always coming up with so many contaminants. And for her local water source, you know, there's lists of things that were potentially toxic and carcinogenic, but she uses an Aquasana water filter, which is, I think, one of, you know, top of the line water filters for getting out heavy metals contaminants. And arsenic was not on that list. So then it was like, shoot. There's no arsenic in the water. Where could it possibly be coming from? So we're both like sharing resources, articles. And I said, why don't you just test your water with water strips? She tests the water and it came back with arsenic. And then she did her own investigative reporting and found out that EWG had not updated the report of arsenic online in their database since 2018. That's frightening. And I hope that this story, I, I hope that I'm reporting this story accurately, but this is how it played out in our conversation. We came to the conclusion that EWG hadn't reported it well. There is arsenic. The Aquasana does not filter it out. In fact, I don't know of a water filter that filters out arsenic. Do you? Because I may spend the rest of my afternoon looking for that. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know one that specifically mentions that. Right. I mean, I would think reverse osmosis would naturally because of the way arsenic plays out she's going to do ro water in the meantime but then you know we got to get the minerals back in so if anyone listening has a water filter for these things so anyways that was um i i I think like an investigative win because we figured out where it was coming from and potentially we still haven't you know gotten her out of the woods but potentially this is making her not feel so great wild the drinking water could be such a Yeah. Drinking water is healthy. Drink more water. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to everyone. Yeah. If you have found a really great filtration system, I mean, we're always looking for the next best option. And I know maybe we can jump ahead and just share, we were going to mention this at the end, 
you know, like clearly filtered, I think is like a good countertop pitcher. Like if you aren't ready to invest in like a full kitchen makeover, clearly filtered. I know. I mean, their main thing is that they take out fluoride and a bunch of other stuff, which fluoride is another one. Most filters do not take out fluoride. And that's, that's a nasty one. So, mm-hmm. um, aqua true too, you can get the countertop, which I think is not a bad investment. It's a couple hundred yeah. bucks. I like the Berkey. Yeah, you do. Apparently it doesn't filter out arsenic. All right. Stay tuned. We're going to do some more research. Yeah. And if anyone knows of anyone that really is an expert in this area and we should have them on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Good idea. Email us. our way. Yeah. (laughs) Message us on Instagram, email, all that good stuff. Yeah. We'd Mm -hmm. love to dive deeper into that. Cool. Right. Okay. We are moving through. We're going to wrap up this podcast with two questions that we got. Yeah. Do our best to answer. I had a question. Maybe you can kick us off, Renee, and offer your expertise. Why would motility go down? Why would we start experiencing low motility after cleaning up the diet? That is a can of worms. I know. I'm thinking we need to do like a full episode just about digestion. I think that digestive tract is so complicated. Mm -hmm. I would say just a very basic thing. Anytime I see motility speeding up or slowing down, I, my first thing is how much fiber are you getting? So quite often when we clean up the diet, that often means we're increasing vegetables, which means we're increasing fiber, which for some people can actually cause constipation or it can cause diarrhea. It can go either way. So one, look at how much fiber you're actually getting. Did you increase it too fast as you were cleaning up your diet? So the standard we kind of say is go for 30 grams a day. Some people like Dr. Casey Mean say we need 75 grams a day. I think the average wow. American is still at nine. Yeah. Woo. That feels like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the average American is only getting nine grams. So again, fiber is something you want to go or increase slowly. You shouldn't really ever be decreasing your fiber. I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> but as mm-hmm. you are increasing it, I would I would look at that first. Did you increase it too fast? How much are you actually getting? Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a great start. answer. That's kind of where I was thinking too, fiber, but Um, Just some other things with motility. I mean, if you do clean up the diet, you could be kind of uncovering some other basic foundational systems that were not operating at, you know, at their best, but maybe eating processed foods or eating things that were not ideal, inflammatory, your body's just trying to push them out. And once you clean it up, then we uncover that, oh, maybe these systems weren't operating at their best anyways. And kind of the underlying mechanism there is your migrating motor complex. So that's like the movement of the GI system. It it coordinates contractions, which a lot of people don't have good complexes and for many reasons. Like it could be gut pathogens, it could be food poisoning, it could be low stomach acid, it could be blood sugar imbalances, hydration, or if you're drinking enough, are you drinking bad water? Ah. The gut's definitely stress. Yeah. So nervous system tone, stress, it could be poor vagal tone. So a lot of things to consider there. And I think, yes, it's probably better for us to do a full episode about this. But when you are having issues with motility, whether it's sped up or slowed down, definitely look at fiber intake and go slowly. Um, But also kind of go through that list and see if there's something else that needs attention. And I'll just say, when people get constipated, a lot of times we rely on magnesium. It's kind of a laxative. That's not going to support your migrating motor complex. It's not going to actually stimulate the contractions of the GI system. 
we want prokinetics, which do that. And prokinetics can be found in ginger, B6, peppermint. Melatonin actually is a prokinetic and they make compounds like supplemental compounds that you can take. But magnesium does not count as a prokinetic, it's more of a laxative short-term solution. But if you're trying to get that complex contracting and moving again, which we want, we want good movement and actually moving your body movement helps with motility in the GI tract. Drinking water, right? More flow circulation helps with movement there. The vagal tone, whether that's humming or dancing or managing your stress, like in general, all those movement practices will also help movement of the GI tract. But trying to to wrap this up in a bow because we've been talking a lot today. But if your motility has changed, go back through that list and see, you know, be your own little detective and see if any of those things are are being missed. Yeah. And if you're like, I don't know if my motility is good, you could do a transit time test. Oh, I love the transit time test. You take some spirulina and then you poop blue. You count the time. (laughs) Which one is more fun, the spirulina or the beets? I kind of like the blue. Sorry. Sorry, you guys. Blue poo. It's fun. Um, Yeah, Yeah. that'd be a good thing to check out. But, you know, in general, we want to be pooping at least once a day, ideally twice a day. If you're not going every day, then you definitely have an excretion problem, which could be a detoxification problem. And I would just say for females, especially, that's uh, really detrimental because you could be upcycling your hormones, which is toxic. So excreting is bueno on the reg. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if you're seeing that blue or the red in 12 hours, 30 hours, constipated, something's going on there. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm not a fan of the charcoal for the transit. I never really understood that because charcoal is so binding. I feel like that can give you a false reading. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. That's what I learned in school. Oh. I mean, a long time ago, but yeah, they used to recommend charcoal. Interesting. Because I take charcoal frequently and I don't always see that. You have to take a lot. Oh, okay. Okay. Probably, I don't remember what the recommendation used to be. Maybe like 2,000. Oh my gosh. 3,000. Yeah. Which for most people, that's going to slow down your transit time. So again, I think that's a false Mm -hmm. reading. I think beets or spirulina, that's the way to go. Yeah. Great. All right. Good poop. Last question. Oh, also about the gut. How do we support our gut on antidepressants? So we got this question. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. We got, you opened your mouth. I thought something was coming up. Yeah, I, I didn't want to cut you off. I just my my first thing is anytime it's like I'm I started this medication and this, I have this side effect, the functional nutrition side of my practice immediately thinks, well, why are we on that medication? Is there something that we're missing? Is there a root cause that we could get to where then you're not on the medication and then dealing with the side effects? Because we know typically when you go down the pharmaceutical route, it's here's this medication. Okay. You have these three side effects. Here's two new medications and it it can spiral really fast. So my first thought is, can we take a step back? Is there something that we can do to rebalance that? So in the case of antidepressants, again, I mean, this is a whole can of worms here, but like, why do we need that? Is it, is it poor sleep circadian rhythm? Is it toxic oils and high sugar in our diet? Is it the gut dysbiosis causing all these problems? Is it lack of social connection, right? So looking at it with a holistic approach saying, what else can we do? But then, okay, 
maybe we skipped all that and we're on the antidepressants, what can we do now? Lauren, I know you did some research on specific nutrients that are getting depleted that might be why people are having gut issues. Do you want to share that? Well, I think just from a higher level perspective, when we look at the typical antidepressants, something like SSRIs, their main mechanism is to block inflammation, specifically IL-6, which is a cytokine IL-6. So to come back to your theory, like why is IL-6 elevated? Why is there inflammation in the body? So we're just giving something that's going to suppress inflammation. We're ignoring our body's natural healing abilities. And I'm not saying that like no one should ever take antidepressants. I think it's a very personal conversation. It is needed in situations. Mm -hmm. But again, like where your brain goes, we should question, is this really needed? Is there something else I can do to support my body's natural healing abilities? Because inflammation is a good thing. Just like microbes, we just don't want to have too much inflammation or we don't want to have long-term chronic inflammation, but your body upregulates inflammation to take care of your body. It's very healing. And so if we're taking a medication that's suppressing inflammation, what we're also doing is suppressing our immune system. And you can guess all of the side effects of suppressing your immune system. What's also happening in the literature, which we're seeing with antidepressants specifically, is that they are creating dysbiosis in the gut. And it is very likely that they're creating leaky gut. So it's disrupting the tight junctions of the gut. So it's essentially like killing your security. So anything can just come and go freely in and out of the gut. So that means foreign invaders, pathogens. That also means that the the nutrients that you're eating or taking in supplements that you're working so hard on to be healthy are not being absorbed in your gut. It's kind of a free-for-all. So leaky gut is a very common side effect from these. So I would say it's quite expected that you would then have gas, bloating, weight gain. Like it makes Makes sense sense. to me that you would have these symptoms. So again, to reverse engineer it, well, one, if the antidepressant I think is really needed and that is a personal conversation with your doctor, how can we support that? Maybe through the use of probiotics or some gut lining nutrients like zinc carnosine or glutamine. You know, there are great supplements to support that. But I think we keep working backwards and trying to do that investigative work. Why is inflammation higher? Why are my, you know, downstream neurotransmitters out of balance? What else can I do to support all of those variables in in the environment? Like you said, social connection, more sunshine, good circadian rhythm balancing, good stress management, better digestion. So I would work, go from the end and, and slowly work backwards because it's also detrimental to just like yank the medication out. We definitely do not want to do that. No, no, no. But while you're supporting your body and getting back to those natural healing abilities, how can we take little steps to support that? Yeah, yeah. And I would say and really be mindful of the big offenders that are causing the leaky gut, right? Like the the gluten, the wheat, the glyphosate. Guys, the glyphosate is so problematic. I mean, it can cause leaky gut in an hour. So I think- mm-hmm. I mean, none of us should be getting glyphosate, but I think if you're having an issue like this, leaky gut, I would be extra mindful of, you know, only buying organic, being really clean with your diet, all the stuff we talk about, right? Mm-hmm. All the diet stuff, clean yes, water. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. All right. I know that was a quick trip around with the Q&A, but if you have <laughs> further questions about that or want us to expand, and I think we are going to do a digestion episode, stay tuned. Yeah. Anything else to mention today on your mind, Renee? think that's a wrap in your heart. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in to our, what do we call it? Duo, duo sode. Duo sode? Duo sode?
Topio. And as always, we are available for chatting on Instagram, Biohacker Babes. You can email us, biohackerbabes at Gmail. We are here always. And I feel like we asked a lot of questions to you guys today. So please send us some responses about some experts we can bring, bring on the show. And if you have any answers about water and I can't even remember the long list of things. But anyways, this is teamwork. Thank you. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you as always. Yes. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Hey, biohackers. Thank you so much for staying until the end. And because you did, we have a very exciting announcement. For the next 90 days, we are giving free access to our seven-day Biohacker Babes Challenge. Each day includes a quick nutrition video, workout of the day, and actionables to keep you on track as we move further away from the new year. This is a great time to reinvest in your resolutions and bring a friend along for the ride. The offer will only be available for these 90 days or until the end of April. To access this challenge for free and to invite a friend, scroll down to the show notes and click the link. We will make sure you can't miss it. Happy biohacking. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with your physician or health care professional.